know. It's very exciting. Can you believe it? <laughs> no. <laughs> 30 episodes? I'm feeling good. Feeling strong. It's like more than half a year. <laughs> I know. So, because we started, what, October? November, it started December? airing like the first week in November, but we started recording last summer. Oh, that's and, like, right. Planning, because remember? we were wearing shorts and tank tops. Yeah. Yes. We wanted to that. like get a whole bunch of them under our belts before yes, we started we releasing did. and yes, like yes, yes. work out the kinks. So like it feels like it's almost been a year, yeah. even though we've <laughs> only been releasing since November. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm super excited. I feel like we have some really cool ladies to talk about and like we didn't record last week. So I feel like I'm extra fresh. Right. Because I was away in New Orleans and it was so much fun. You guys saw the pictures on yes, Instagram. My and two Twitter. pictures that I posted. <laughs> Doesn't matter. They came. Yeah. They were there. Um, but yeah, I am super excited about this episode. I can't wait. So if you would like to know what you're listening to, this is Herstory. On the rocks. I'm Katie. And I'm Allie. And this is a podcast where we drink. And talk about her story. Her story, which is history, but with women. Because history is all about men. <laughs> we want to flip the books. Flip the books. We got to bring back the people that we didn't talk enough about. Exactly. Whether they're fictional or non-fictional, good mm-hmm. people or bad people. Mm-hmm. All the above. I am sure you had a chapter in high school about Napoleon. Mm-hmm. But nobody's talking about infamous women. So we're trying to do that. Exactly. And then also some great ladies, too. Yes. And then we have themed cocktails for each lady, which makes it extra fun. <laughs> which is why our facts are wrong half the time. Yes. <laughs> um, and why we have to issue corrections on mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. And also why by the end, you learn a lot of personal things about us. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to stick around if you want to know the dirt. The juicy deets. All right. Well, I'm excited to get to these two ladies. So because this is an audio form podcast, we need to get a little physical, physical to figure out what they look like <laughs> so that you don't have to stop at a red light and right. be that and jerk that, that looks down at your phone to Google them. And then is like you get honked at because mm. you didn't go as soon as the, the light worst. turned green. The worst, the worst. So I am doing Barbara Walters. Yes. And I'm <laughs> so thrilled. She's like one of my heroes, which is odd because I'm not a journalist or into journalism right. <laughs> at all in any way. Um, so she is five foot five. She has like, dirty blonde hair lightish brown mm-hmm. before obviously it turned gray and she started dyeing it but it's kind of hard to tell her exact hair color because when it wasn't gray or dyed the pictures were black and white oh yeah so it's like you know it was kind of an interesting trying to figure out exactly what her hair color was mm-hmm. um but it's kind of curled and quaffed like you know like on air hair spray right. curled when she got older, she started dyeing it like that natural blonde mm-hmm. look over top of her gray. She has very piercing eyes and thin lips with a sweet smile, although she is constantly told she does not smile enough, <laughs> even on air. Ugh. Very expressive eyebrows. Typically on screen, she's wearing like journalistic tailored attire mm-hmm. and like dresses. Um, and the fashion has changed over the years. So like her decades on TV, she's always kind of been wearing different fashions, but it's mm-hmm. always been on trend, but always big statement earrings. Mm. And when asked about beauty, she openly says, I do not find myself to be a beautiful woman. She says, what? I feel that I'm attractive, but I'm almost too curt to be considered huh. beautiful, which I think is odd because I think she is stunning. Yeah. 
I and I mean in all of her ages like she yeah. she has carried age very well she just looks so classy yes she's like an emily gilmore yes we're like you are like beautiful and classy she's and waspy classy yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure oh so that's what she looks like if you didn't know she's also yeah. spent a million hours on tv so yeah. i'm sure you know what she looks like excellent well i am doing madam cj walker she had beautiful dark clear skin small brown eyes, and a wide nose and petite but curvaceous lips. She had a full face and is typically seen with either her hair straightened and parted down the middle or up in a Victorian style. And she is, you know, in clothing of the era. So she has like high starched collars or sometimes Mm. like the low ones, like when she got more into like the 1920s era Um, or like, you know, she didn't make it to the 20s, but like (laughs) early 1900s. It was edging on them. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, that's basically what she looks like. I'm very bad at the description, so it's okay. You're gonna get. <laughs> I mean, I've seen like one famous profile picture yeah. of CJ Walker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's like only like a couple of famous photos of her. Yeah. So, but you don't have as much to go on as my million yeah, hours I know. of TV <laughs> for decades and decades. <sighs> but let All me right. tell you what you're about to drink. Yes, I would like to know. So this is actually a real cocktail. This isn't a spin on anything or a change on anything. It's just called The Journalist. And it is, well, like if you Google it, the first five websites all give you the same recipe, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that that happens. (laughs) (laughs) So it is an ounce and a half of gin, a fourth of an ounce of sweet vermouth, a fourth of an ounce of dry vermouth, a fourth of an ounce of fresh lime juice, a dash of bitters, and uh, maraschino cherry and a fourth of an ounce of triple sec. So it's a lot of sounds alcoholic. It's alcoholic (laughs) E, but it's very, it's like a dry martini with a couple flares to it. Okay. So it looks good. I'm interested. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll see. Cheers. I like it. I like it too. I was nervous because um, I've tried very hard to like martinis, but yeah. I don't. I don't either. It's like drinking poison. It and really I, is. I tried one time putting like a shit ton of olives and olive juice in it and yeah. like lemon juice and like basically like I'm dressing an oyster on the hash uh-huh. shell and I just couldn't do it. I think the sweet vermouth helps big yes. time because mm-hmm. it's like covering up you yeah. know some of that dry taste and then the mm-hmm. lemon juice obviously helps. But see, I'm a not a big fan of olives, so martinis mm-hmm. are very hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's always been the way I am. So I'm going to take another sip before I get started because I'm about to blast your brain. (laughs) I'm ready for Mm -hmm. it. So what do you know about Babs (laughs) Walters? Uh, I know what she looks like. I know that she's a journalist. I think she was on 60 Minutes. 2020. 2020. That's funny because I was going to say 20 minutes. But I was like, I think I'm combining two shows. And you did. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And I know that she is known for having like some real like hard hitting interviews. Like I think she interviewed like Michael Jackson or something. Yeah. But but yeah, I know that she like gets the fucking scoop. She gets and that's the all scoop. I know. I, that's great. It's so funny because I feel like she's this huge figure, and like of course everyone knows who Barbara Walters is, but I don't know if she's married. I don't know if she has kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know where she lives. I don't even even know she's. I think she's still on TV. I don't know. She's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that tidbit. Uh, well, I want to know. I, I'm really excited to tell you because 
I've always loved her, mm-hmm. but just as a TV personality and right. like looking into her life and her background was very fun. Excellent. So she was born September 25th, 1929. Although in some TV. 1929? Inter- yes. What? She's, she's an old lady. Um, she's 90? She's up there. Because in 29. 10 years, she'll be 100. Yeah. So yeah. she's 90? She's 90. What? I know, that's crazy. But in some interviews, she's claimed to have been born in 1931. She's still old as fuck. Yeah, so it's it's a weird birth date thing, but she was born in Boston. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she's very, very old. She's lived a long life, and she has taken care of herself and got shit done. Wow. Yeah crazy my mind's already blown and we're like we're only at the birthday right birthday <laughs> september 25 um her mom was dina solitsky and her dad was lewis walters they're both jewish and descendants of refugees from the russian empire i think that most people when they think about anti-semitism they automatically jump to hitler right but before the hitler era there was like the programs programs in russia mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different places in europe that dealt with that so her gr- grandparents or great-grandparents were refugees of that and they moved to like the uk and stuff their original family's surname was Warmanwasser, but her dad changed it to walters he was born in the 1800s in london and then moved to new york in 1909 and her mom arrived in new york in 1910 so she's a first generation jewish immigrant whoa isn't that crazy that's insane i would have (laughs) never pinned her as a jewish absolutely not so her father opened a nightclub the latin quarter and that's in new york city and he was also the entertainment director for tropicana resort and casino in las vegas he had nightclubs all over the country denver vegas florida new york and that looked great to other people but Barbara really just wanted to come home and be normal. She just felt like she couldn't be normal. And her siblings had a really tough go at it. So she was a very serious little girl, always had her nose in a (laughs) book. You know, she was told to smile all the time, and she just wanted to be a bookworm. Her brother died in 1944 of pneumonia. And her sister was born mentally disabled. So at that point in time, they openly you know just referred to her sister as retarded Mm. um and chronologically her sister's older than her but technically she was treated as the younger sister and barbara really had to wrestle with this because she resented her Mm. but she loved her and um she knew her parents loved her but her parents thinking about the girl's future jacqueline was her name made her parents unhappy because they're like, she's never going to have everything everybody wants. And then, you know, you have to wrestle with like middle school embarrassment of take your sister with you and like feeling so bad for her, but also trying to understand that like you need to help out. So that was, you know, we personally know some people who have, um, siblings with disabilities Mm -hmm. like that. And it's just, it totally changes a child and a family dynamic. Yeah, it really does. I feel like all the other siblings kind of have to like grow up even quicker than normal. Absolutely. Much faster. Yeah. Cause they're kind of relied on to like help out with it, you know? Cause like I was never in that situation, but, but I also think in a lot, a lot of times, like and I guess it depends because I feel like it can go either way. But I know like some friends of ours, like it made them like some people, like most of the people I know, it just made them so kind. 
Yes. Because they have this like base level understanding of like some things are out of people's control. So you should just be kind. Yeah. And I feel like that's like most of the people I know who have, you know, like brothers and sisters with uh, like mental disabilities. That's how they like. And it's just like a really beautiful way, I think, to react to it. It should just be extra kind. Yeah, it is. And I thought that that was an interesting thing because she does a lot of interviews with people that have mm. disabilities later on in her mm-hmm. life. And I think it shows through that she kept bringing that to the public's attention. Yeah. So it's neat. Her father made and lost many fortunes, <laughs> so they lived a rather unsteady life. And during the good times, it was great, and they were out nightly. They were at nightclubs, and all, like, the dancers would, like, fuss over her, and they, like, loved her. And this was great for her because she was always surrounded by celebrities. Like, as a young girl, she's, like, meeting Frank Sinatra. Whoa. And it's, like, not a big deal. Yeah. And this era, she found out, celebrities can bleed they have a dark side they have children they never see they get divorced and no one's perfect and that Mm -hmm. made her job way easier to look a celebrity in the face and be like you cheated on your husband what's wrong with you yeah so she could ask those killer questions because ever since she was a kid she's been surrounded by celebrities they're not scary to her which is great When her dad lost his, like, nightclub industry, he kind of goes through a breakdown. They lose their penthouse. They lose Mm. their car, their fortune. And she says she often wishes that her mother had married, like, a normal woman, just like a doctor or a dressmaker, so they could have this, like, typical family. And her parents were together for 65 years, and they loved each other, but it wasn't a perfect marriage, and people just didn't get divorced back then and her mom always had this fear that her dad would lose everything which he did and Barbara always had this fear that she would end up supporting the entire family and her sister which she did so it was just like this big burden like you said she had to grow up extra fast Mm -hmm. and because of all that she was school bouncing Mm -hmm. which is awful to do as a kid and she describes her childhood as very lonely she didn't get to have like a best friend Mm. she was like constantly moving so she's going to school in massachusetts until fifth grade and then they go to miami beach and she goes to public schools there and then they come back to new york and she goes to ethical culture fieldston school and then they go back to miami beach and then she comes back to birch walton school so she graduates from high school in four years and attended three different schools and it's like how do you even make friends and like get a date to prom and like all that stuff Mm. it's annoying so she graduates high school in 1947 and then goes to sarah lawrence college and graduates with her ba in english in 1951 so just very quickly college high school college done that's all there is in that story for her there's not like a big there wasn't anything special I guess about her college that kept popping up so (laughs) she gets right to work with a small advertising agency for about a year where she does these like commercials for dog food and like deodorant and she's like this is not my proudest (laughs) moment they're not that great and then she gets this job with an NBC network affiliate affiliate to write press releases and do this like 15 minute kid spot. But her boss like is trying to like date her and she kind of likes this other guy she's working with and they get into like a physically violent fight over her. So she leaves that company all the while she's writing for red book magazine, which if you ever read red book at all, 
I've heard of it, but yeah. I've never read it. Very popular, like, female-centric magazine. Yeah. And I think it's important because it shows the sign of the times that, like, she could only comment on women's things. Yeah. That is what Barbara Walters could do. Mm-hmm. So she bounces to this lesser-known affiliate network um, and does this show that ends up getting canceled. She's, like, writing for yeah. these shows. And then she has her first marriage to this Navy lieutenant in 1955, but it's annulled after 11 months. Mm. Nothing special, not really brought back up. Yeah. And later that year, she finally lands a job as a writer on CBS, which is great because the Today Show is really where she gets her start. Yeah. They needed, in 1961, one female writer mm-hmm. in the writer's room. It was required and she moves on to becoming um the today girl on screen which is like the lighter assignments they also were required to have one female on screen that this is weird because the tv personality was usually like a model or an actress and like i said earlier she didn't see herself as beautiful Mm -hmm. so she was very like one of the models i guess went on vacation not i guess this is what it said went on vacation and she filled in that one day and then she slowly started filling in more and more Mm. until she became the permanent today girl. Whoa. And they get these lighter assignments because at that time, this is before the women's movement. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I guess first wave feminism would be then or is that second wave in Uh, the 60s? Second second, wave, first wave's like, suffragettes yes okay yeah so this is before second wave feminism and nobody would take a woman reporting hard news seriously not a person like you couldn't give a real report so she's doing what she called tea pouring where like she would do fashion reports and she would do a cat got stuck in a tree report like you know those types of things and while she's doing all this she writes a little article for a magazine called how to talk to anyone about practically anything and they approach her which is what she does on a regular basis definitely does uh and she gets approached and they're like you should turn this into a book i think people would really like it oh. and she's like okay i guess and Ugh. then she writes the book and then it's like a huge hit and she's like shocked that it's so good and that people really wanted to read what she had to say about how to talk to people so she gets married again to lee goober Ger- goober <laughs> a guy <laughs> she gets married again to a guy in 1963 he's a producer and theater owner they End up getting divorced in 1978, but it's a 13-year relationship, and that's the longest of her four marriages. She dated this lawyer, though, Roy, in college, and he proposed to her the night she was supposed to marry Lee. So she dated him in college, and then she gets married, and then she's engaged and about to get married to this other guy, and her college boyfriend proposes and she obviously turns him down because she's about to get married but her and lee have a lifelong friendship where like he's a lawyer so he helped her adopt their daughter she he like helped with her father's legal bills and stuff when things were going on with him losing his nightclubs so that was a really cool relationship and maybe it was like a friendship soulmate where Mm. like you really needed that platonic friend yeah jack lemon situation yes (laughs) so she did want a child super badly and she had three miscarriages with Lee but they end up adopting a baby girl and Mm. she names her baby girl Jacqueline after her sister because she wants to see that name like live a happy life which she feels like her sister did not her sister did die of ovarian cancer by the way um her 
daughter found it very difficult to be Barbara Walters's daughter. Oh, I'm sure. Like she I, wanted to be anonymous and that she, she's got this super famous mother. I feel like I'd be having Oprah as a mom. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard because everybody knows her. And she says any woman who works faces a balancing act, not just on TV, but you know, not just women on TV. Cause mm-hmm. they asked like, do you think you have it really hard? She was like, we all have it hard. Yeah. Like, are you crazy? Like, just because I'm a celebrity doesn't mean that, you know, my life's any harder than that single mom. Who's like a nurse that nobody knows about. Like her life is hard also. And there's no good answer for how to do it best. And she has a lot of happiness as a mother, but also a lot of regrets for yeah. things she didn't do. Cause she was so busy. And the, a lot of the stuff I got, obviously I read a lot of articles and I watched a lot of Barbara Walters interviews, but at the end of her career, Bill Getty did this in 2014. It's called Barbara Walters, her story. And you can get the documentary on YouTube for free. Mm. And it's so cool because he asks her like in the middle of the interview, is it, is it different now? Do you think the world is different for women's rights? And she just looks at him and goes, no. Oh, <laughs> and that just keeps going and i was like oh barbs i love that too because no explanation uh-uh. just nope nope <laughs> i just and it's cool to see someone who went through it and was a real game changer yeah. to be like no it still sucks mm-hmm. because a lot of times you see women being like no it's so much better yeah. which you know it is so much better she may right. have been a little stern but it was cool. yeah but I also like, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, like, yes, things are better for some way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not like as overtly oppressed, mm-hmm. but like there is still a lot of oppression. I mean, look what's happening in Alabama right now. Yeah. Like, as it's we very speak. scary. Yeah. Like, but, but yeah, I mean, I just, I kind of love that answer. Just no. No, it isn't. Especially because like. It was cool. It almost makes me think that she was like, why would you even ask that question? Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> Like shush, Bill, (laughs) is what she was saying. (laughs) So she has this great relationship with Hugh Downs as she, he ends up being the host of 2020, by the way, if you don't know who Hugh Downs is. Um, (laughs) I'm very acquainted with Hugh Downs. (laughs) I am not. Um, But she's working on the Today Show and, you know, Hugh Downs is the host and she's got this good relationship with him as the Today Girl and kind of like the on-air reporter. And he ends up retiring and she's worked with him for like nine years and she's not a co-host at all, but he treats her with respect. Mm. Well, this guy, Frank McGee, takes over and he is a great reporter, but she didn't get the same respect from him. She's no longer allowed to ask any of the hard questions. And the network comes up with an agreement that Frank gets to ask three questions. And then she gets to ask one to end the interview. And that's where I personally think her hard hitting questions come from. Yeah. Like I get one. It better be the a best. good one. It's got to <laughs> be the one that gets the dirt. Yeah. But also they say you can also have any interviews outside of the studio. Like hmm. the studio is Frank's thing. Yeah. But if you want to do like on location interviews, go for it. 
And I mean, within a year, she is becoming a reporter at large. She is like developing and writing and editing and making her own reports and getting her own interviews because she wants to do it. And there's this series called like A Day in the Life. And she does like A Day in the Life of a Novice Nun and like <laughs> follows a nun around and like Whoa. does it. And then there's like A Day in the Life of a Playboy Bunny. And she's like in the leotard with the ears like, dancing with that, like being Barbara Walters and being awesome. <laughs> and she doesn't get named co-host until 1974 when Frank McGee dies. Whoa. So after he dies, she becomes the official co-host. And from that day forward, all women on TV full-time were listed as co-hosts. Because of her? Because of her. That's amazing. And she's like, that is my legacy. Yeah. That people, women, were referred to as co-hosts because of me. Yeah. I love that. <sighs> And Oprah even talks about how before she went on her first interview, she um, like to do a hosting gig. She like studied tapes of Barbara Walters and like how she sat <laughs> and like how she looked at the camera and looked at the person and she mimicked her in the interview and like got Whoa. the job. So like Oprah is like looking up to Barbara <laughs> Walters. So it's like a saint of a saint. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> how can you even? So I love it too because we opened our season with Oprah. We did. <laughs> Full fucking circle. <laughs> so she ends up leaving NBC after all of this and all they've done for her. But it's because she gets offered a position as the first female evening. Let me say that word again. <laughs> evening <laughs> news co-anchor. And Whoa. she's so excited. So she goes to ABC. They offer her a million dollars a year. Whoa. Yeah. To co-anchor this show. And she's all over the newspapers being called the million dollar baby. And <laughs> she has to sit next to Harry Resner. Reisner. I don't know how to pronounce it because you're not famous. <laughs> because he hated working with her. Why? This is like full-scale anchorman where they brought a girl in and everybody was like this is a demotion Ugh, for you wow, to put a wow, girl wow. next to me Jesus Christ. it was crazy Ugh. the visible disdain watching some of the newscasts is uncomfortable like it makes me cringe mm. because there it's the disdain is it's palpable on screen and it's so short-lived because of that she's like drowning in yeah. failure like working there so she starts these out of studio interview specials which is great but at the time you couldn't have a person who interviewed celebrities and politicians nobody would take you seriously if you were a celebrity interviewer you, you know there was no crossover right you couldn't do both so she starts doing that and she spends a week with Fidel Castro in 1977 <gasps> just asking him all these hard questions about freedom and why Cuba and the United States don't get along. And they have these really cool conversations. But then there's a picture on her wall signed by Fidel Castro that says this was the longest and hardest interview I've ever done. Whoa. From Barbara Walters. I love that. There's like <laughs> images of them on like a boat on the Bay of Pigs. And she's like, how does it feel going across the Bay of Pigs with an American? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Woo. Get out of that boat. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to die. She's like, it's fine. I'm also a fantastic swimmer. <laughs> yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> and that's what she said. But 
after all of this, she does an interview with John Wayne and she's really struggling on the evening news. And he sends her a postcard that says, don't let the bastards get you down. Love John Wayne. Which is cute. She's the coolest person. (laughs) I know. So she obviously is best known for hosting 2020 or 20 minutes, as you said, (laughs) with Hugh Downs. 20 minutes in heaven. Now, Hugh (laughs) Downs. 20 minutes in the bathroom. So (laughs) Hugh Downs retired from like the evening news. But when you do a show like 2020, it's once a week instead of daily. Mm. So he didn't retire from like TV in general. Right. It's once a week, (laughs) like like our awesome podcast. So he's doing that. And Barbara gets pulled into 2020 because the head of the news sees the tension between her and Harry. And they're like, we got to get this girl somewhere great because she can be great. Right. She broadcasts on 2020 for over 25 years and is just so happy. Can you imagine once a week for 25 years reporting the news? No. No, And this is very personal to me. And I know I've told you this before that this came on every Friday night when I was in middle school and high school and my dad and brothers would go to Boy Scouts and my mom and I would sit down and watch 2020. Mm-hmm. It was what we did every Friday. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is where I got my education about STDs and college hazing and date rape drugs and contraceptives and addiction. So for everybody out there who like doesn't watch the news with your kids, do it. It gave me yeah. a platform to ask my mom difficult questions that would be uncomfortable if right. we were just like sitting at the breakfast table. Yeah. But it's like Barbara Walters is talking about it, so we can talk about it. Right. So it's like such an opening. She like was providing for people this little push of like, this is a problem. Everybody should talk about it. Right. And do you think that like there's some sort of thing that like because she's a woman, people are more comfortable, like it already like lowers their guard a little bit? I absolutely think that. I and think like, that what if, was it for like women and children, women, quote, and children. women and children. <laughs> I think that if it was Hugh Downs saying it, it wouldn't have hit home the same way. Yeah. Like Hugh Downs talking about girls in college with date rape drugs, I would have maybe not cared as much. But yeah. like her being like, "This is a problem." Yeah, like oh, it is a problem. Yes. She also, in all of this time, is getting called in for like special interviews she does like 9-11 and presidential debates and presidential elections and this is when she gets famous for her personal journalism like you said earlier everybody wants to know her scoop yeah everybody wants to know what does barbara walters think about this Mm -hmm. and she definitely gets inducted into the television hall of fame but that's in like a 1989 it doesn't even she's done so much since then it doesn't even matter (laughs) she is interviewing on all these special scoops, high-level people. The Egyptian president and Israeli prime minister, she gets them together in a room for an interview for the first time. And then Walter Cronkite does it, like, a little bit later, and he famously, like, walked out of the room and was like, what did Barbara get that I didn't get? Like, wants to know immediately, like, how did her interview go? Yeah. She interviews the president of Iran, Vladimir Putin, Margaret Thatcher, Fidel Castro, like I said, the leaders of Libya, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, every president, including and since Nixon. And she asks the killer questions. She's asking this Middle East sexist, chauvinistic leader. um, You've been quoted as saying that, you know, women aren't equal and shouldn't do these jobs. Is that what you really think about women? 
And like just looking him dead in the eyes. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think there's a few rare women here and there that could do it. She was like, well, what about your wife who's sitting right next to him? He goes, I'd rather not answer that. Oh, I Crazy. just love how she doesn't care. Like, I feel like that's why I would be a terrible journalist. Uncomfortable. I'd be like, ah, how can't. are you today? <laughs> Um, the weather's nice here in the Middle so East. So nice. <laughs> Did you have a good ride over? Yeah. Like, I just I would never be able to like because like my fear of getting yelled at because I'd be afraid that they would just walk flip away, out, flip yeah. out, like which is what which, you want as a journalist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but That's she's the asking scoop you can get. <laughs> she <laughs> asked Obama when his rates were going down, "Why are you so unpopular?" Oh. She asked Nixon, "Do you wish you had burned the tapes?" Oh. She asked Bush. Do you really think it's worth it since there weren't weapons of mass destruction? Uh, <laughs> she asked Hillary Clinton, how did you not leave him? Ooh. She asked Putin, have you ever ordered to have someone killed? To which he answered, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then just left it at that. And then she asked Gaddafi, uh, people say you're unstable and mad. Does that make you angry? <laughs> 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 what? She's crazy. And I think oh. what you're saying about guts is so important because you know how when you get really mad at somebody and you're like, I'm yeah. going to say this and I'm going to say this yeah. and I'm just going to blah, 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 blah. And then you get to their face and you're like, you know, it, it wasn't that big of a like, deal. Fine. It's fine. Yeah. It was, it was okay. I forgive you. Yeah. It's like when you're actually face to face with a person and you have to square eyeball them and ask them that question. Yeah. That's insane. I can't believe it. Yeah. So she also interviews, obviously, celebrities, because that's the other mm -hmm. reason people are really into her. She does Audrey Hepburn. She does Michael Jackson. She does Christopher Reed, which is such an emotional one. Christopher Reeves, if you don't know, is Superman, the original Superman in the movies. And then he had like a horse riding accident. It's like paralyzed from the neck oh, down. No. And, you know, he was like a big buff, like athlete guy. So she's interviewing him when he's in his wheelchair and just talking to him about this and about like him wanting to, you know, at some point kill himself because he mm. couldn't handle being paralyzed. And if he ever thinks he's going to walk again. So like those types of things are what she's doing. She's interviewing celebrities like Mike Tyson about abuse. She asks his wife right in front of him, does he hit you? And she says, yes, like oh on air. Gosh. She's asking Kelsey Grammer about like alcohol abuse. And she's asking celebrities about drug abuse. She's asking them about sex, about cheating. She's asking Ellen DeGeneres and Elton John about sexual orientation. Like in the 90s when this was like not something people talked about on TV. Well, I also feel like. I feel like she has such integrity as a journalist mm -hmm. that like, I feel like she gets the, those questions answered most of the time and gets away with asking them because it's not like, I'm going to ask you this question because I really think it's going to sell a bunch of headlines. Yeah. It almost feels like she's asking you because like you need to talk about it because right. there's some fucked up shit going on in your life. Like it's like, it's not to get famous, yes. right? It's like, I want you to clear up any misconceptions about yourself. Right. And they're very clear questions. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not like exactly like leading questions. She doesn't beat around the bush. She doesn't. She gets mm -mm. right to the point. It's not like, have you ever done anything in your life that you might regret? <laughs> like, did you regret cheating on your wife? Right. Or like, do you like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> Do you get hit by the man yes. sitting next to you? And like, not like, how's your marriage? I would be like, is Mike Tyson going to hit me in the yeah. face right now? Oh my like, gosh. she's crazy. But so, but that's it's so refreshing, though. Yeah, it is refreshing, and it's gutsy. Like, yes, 
And because of this, she gets this reputation for making people cry. And it becomes a bit of a joke. Like everybody who comes on is like, you're not going to make me cry, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) But she makes everyone cry, even to the point where she is interviewing Katie Couric. And Katie Couric is like a famous newscaster. Yeah, She makes Katie Couric cry. And Katie Couric turns to the camera and was like, she's a devil woman. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, she... Katie Couric is the next woman to be like an a co-host or a host of the evening news right. like after Barbara Walters. Yeah, I think of her as like Barbara Walters 2.0. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which great compliment to Katie Couric by yeah. the way. <laughs> so her third and fourth marriages are happening during all of this and they're both to Merv Edelson. He is the CEO of a television company. She married him in 1981, divorces him in 84, marries him again in 86, and then divorces him in 92. Mm. And she's been married four times, and she openly says, like, look, I wasn't good at marriage. Maybe my career was too important. Maybe I'm really difficult to be married to. I don't know, but I'm better when I'm alone. I'm not lonely, but I'm alone. Right. We, (laughs) We have people in our life like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your uncle is just better alone. Yes, he is. Like, it's just, it works for some people. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not be. I'd crumble. I'd crumble. Yeah. But, um, but I was also thinking, like, I wonder if, like, that, like, getting to the point thing was, like, hard for men to deal with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, like and just not having that wife that's going to be like, oh, okay, no, it's fine. Having a wife that's going to be like, did you take out the trash? I told you to take out the trash and I still see it in here. Like what happened? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the idea of like, she is working and becoming a famous, well-paid woman before a lot of women did that. So she is a threat to masculinity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And she's stern. It's not like she's a threat to masculinity and she looks like Jennifer Aniston. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, she's very curt and to Mm -hmm. the point and like ready to go. And she has a pretty active dating life as well. In the 70s, she was dating Alan Greenspan, who's the U.S. Federal <laughs> Reserve Chairman. In the 90s, she was dating the U.S. Senator John Warner. She was dating Edward Brooke, a U.S. Senator, at some point, which was an affair. He was definitely Whoa. married. We're not sure whether or not she was married at that point because yeah. she was on and off. And she also dated, the in 2007, the Pulitzer Prize winner, Robert Neal Butler. So she's kind of like... She likes being in relationships, but she's just not the marrying kind, right? which I, is fine. Well, I also, I wonder if it's a problem that, like, every man she seems to be with, like, isn't, really isn't as famous as her. Yeah. And, like, in a pretty stark way. Yes. You know, like, they're like, oh, I'm, like, a like a popular politician. It's like, but you're nowhere near close to Barbara Walters. Like, when you're with her, nobody gives a shit that you're a politician. And on, like, every show ever, isn't it, like, the worst for a journalist and a politician to be dating. Yeah. What if you tell them something off yeah. the record and they're like, I need to report on that. Right. Mm, I good. bet that ended a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, the true marker of fame is whether or not they make fun of you on SNL. Yeah. <laughs> and that absolutely happens to her mm-hmm. with a wonderful reoccurring sketch called Baba Wawa. <laughs> because Barbara Walters does has a fun pronunciation of her R's, a very waspy pronunciation yeah. where she doesn't complete them. Like I would say, where are my things? And she would say, where are my things? <laughs> you know, like she is very 
the the waspy New York rich accent, yeah. and they heavily made fun of that. She hated it. Her daughter loved it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, thought it was great. Um, and at that point in '97, she starts The View, and the, I totally forgot about that. The part. View <laughs> is like she goes, "Look, I want different generations of women with different backgrounds and different views to all be together in one place." And then she goes, "Be careful what you wish for, yeah, because it's crazy." I think it starts out with Meredith Vieira being like the um kind of questioning like ask her because she's on there and they didn't want her to be the host because they wanted her to maintain like her journalistic integrity it ends up being Whoopi Goldberg in the Meredith Vieira role eventually it's Elizabeth Hathelback and Joy Behar and Sherry Shepard but there it's just an incredible panel of women they've got multiple daytime Emmys and nominations for that show and she was so excited that it was the first unscripted live television conversation yeah and it reminds me of because the women are all so different and like talking to each other it reminds me of like when the four ladies from sex in the city sit Mm. down at brunch Mm -hmm. and all four of them have a different opinion and you're like they would never be friends yeah none of them would but they're sitting saying opposite things and that's what the view was but real life Mm -hmm. so that was a cool show. Yeah. <laughs> All the what and that starts in 97. It's still on, you know, like yeah. it's still happening. She's not on it anymore. She stopped in 2014. She does the most famous television interview, most watched television interview of all time with Monica Lewinsky in 1999. It has 74 million viewers. Whoa. It is the highest ratings. She asks a lot of really hard questions including what are you going to say to your kids when you have them? And Monica Lewinsky said, I'm going to say mommy made a big mistake. And uh, Barbara turns to the camera and goes, that's the understatement of the year. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Woo. Which we did an episode on Monica Lewinsky and that's not fair. No, it's not. Also, cause she, I mean, she's so young too. And then to be like, Oh my gosh, like children? Like what? Like <laughs> And also Monica Lewinsky doesn't have children right now because no, her doesn't. life was destroyed by a powerful man. Mm-hmm. So let's put that out there. Mm. So all this time she also has a show on Sirius XM Radio. <laughs> um uh, like about just it's like Barbara Walters doing interviews and things and one thing that's really cool about her is she does openly tell people like how she does her interviews. She's like, "Look, do your homework. Like you need to have that person say, wait, how did you know that about me? Like you need to know everything about them. You need to write questions and put them in order and then throw half of them away and then ask the boy who's delivering pizza. If you're going to interview Justin Timberlake today, what do you want to know? And then take those questions and then add them in and then throw some other ones away. And then, you know, you need to especially be important with order on politicians because they're going to dodge your questions. So you need to write the same question in five different ways and space it throughout so that you can continue to ask it until they break. Um, And she gets these classic questions. One, and I'm going to make you answer them. You ready? I'm ready. What is the biggest misconception people have about you? I think that I'm a, that that I'm a super relaxed, chill person. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you have a philosophy that you live by? I 
don't think so. <laughs> okay, ready? Make as few mistakes as possible. Oh, that's good. <laughs> ready? Finish this sentence. Katie is... Mm, 25. <laughs> that's great. Kanye, <laughs> Kanye West's answer was black. <laughs> I love every second of that. Okay. So those are like some of her very famous questions. And she was like, I wanted to come up with some signature questions that people knew I was going to ask. Right. Yeah. So they could prepare at least a little a bit. A little bit. And like everybody knows like this is the thing that Barbara wants to know yeah. about me. So in her retirement, she leaves 2020 in 2004. She gets a Hollywood Walk of Fame star in 2007. Mm. In 2009, she gets a Lifetime Achievement Award. She ends up while she's still on The View, getting open heart surgery in 2010, and the doctor's like, oh, well, well. But then she officially retires. Uh, the anniversary was yesterday from recording date, May 15th, oh 2014. And she says that her biggest regret in her career is not having more children Whoa. and that she has extreme mom guilt. She says, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I wasn't so busy. Uh, she still does part-time special interviews. She did one with Donald and Melania Trump. Um, she does small documentary series. But at this point, she doesn't do a lot of public appearances anymore, just yeah. like the very specials. She's just aging. You know, yeah. she's 90. Mm -hmm. There's too much. So her best advice is that you get this far in life by a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. And she says that all women struggle with the biggest thing she struggles with, mm -hmm. which is self doubt. She leaves mm -hmm. every interview, which is the best interviewer in the world. She leaves it going. I should have said this. I could yeah. have done this. I, I would have done it if somebody had reminded me to do it. So she tells women that the shoulda, coulda, woulda keeps you from being happy and you need to walk away from that. And she wants to be remembered by being a good woman and a woman that young women can aspire to be. Ah, amazing. I love her. Yeah. No scandals. No. None. I know. That was like just clean slate all the way through. So good. I, wow. I had barely anything to cuss about. Yeah. <laughs> She's so good. Ah. That was great. Sometimes you're researching people and you're like, man, there's no dirt. Right. But, and you're but like, with her, oh, wow, I was they're like, just as amazing as I previously thought. Right. Hmm. I thought they great. were great. And guess what? They're great. They're great. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was a really good story. Good. I can't and wait for CJ because I feel yes. like it's similar. Yes, they are. <laughs> so I'm super excited. So we got to make more drinks. Drink, and we'll drink, be right drink, back. drink, drink. Bye. <laughs> We are back. We're back. We're back. We're back. With a new cocktail and new a new cocktail. lady. The official. This is the official last story of season two. This is the last cocktail of season two. I can't even. I'm so sad. And it I looks know. delicious. And it's pink. You're continuing I your know. Trend. And I made it up. I love that. So there was no cocktail that I could find for Madam CJ Walker. So I decided to celebrate her business aptitude so this is called the pink pantsuit i love it <laughs> <laughs> so you put a wedge i thought of you were gonna say the pink panther no <laughs> <laughs> so you put a wedge of grapefruit and a teaspoon of grapefruit shrub and 
two teaspoons of brown sugar and you muddle them together and you mix it with an ounce of gin and an ounce of pink limoncello and a squeeze of lemon juice. What is grapefruit shrub? So grapefruit shrub. Is that like pulp? No, no, no. Shrub (laughs) is like a cocktail mixture. So it's like, um, like a simple syrup, but it's like vinegar. So they're, they're called, they're called cocktail vinegars. Um, and yeah, so I thought it looked good. So, and I've never used shrub before, but I've always wanted to. So now I'm branching out. (laughs) This is it. So cheers. Cheers. I'm so stoked. Yeah. This drink, I, I love it. I love that. I love when you put big wedges of things in my drink. Mm hmm. And yeah, I'm like, I was really excited about this one because I literally just went into Total Wine and I was just like, Total Wine, speak to me. What should I make? Because <laughs> I knew I wanted it to be pink. I wanted to make a pink pantsuit cocktail. I've always wanted to have a mystical experience in Total Wine, but I'm it not there. To me today. Good. And I love because I wanted it also to be in a rocks class, like a men's drink. Yeah, I feel you. Know, you. Like feel a business. You. Like I feel like it looks like an old fashioned, <laughs> but it's for ladies. I wish I could <laughs> pantomime your, word, your face for business. It's business. I love that. Mm. All right. So CJ Walker, here's what I know. What do you know? She's not a white woman. Nope. <laughs> um, she had like a hair business, yes. hair style business product. And she's like one of the first or maybe the first African-American mil- billion millionaires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Emma B. Not sure. Yeah. Not sure. But she made a lot of money with her product because not two products same woman what <laughs> that's that didn't make any sense not a sentence no two products are good for the same woman mm-hmm. that's why you have to have a million shades of foundation mm-hmm. and uh dry shampoo very true and curly girls <laughs> tell me all about her i mean right. i need more because that's all i know so the History on her is like a little bit and like this is actually one of the very few ones where I was like, I really think I could have benefited from like reading the book about her mm. because everything online is like kind of spotty. Like it's all consistent, but it's just like spotty. You know, it's kind of just like bullet points. So it. it's going to sound a little choppy, but I'm going to do the best that I can. <laughs> I'll take it. So Sarah Breedlove, which is what? her name. Sarah Breedlove mm-hmm. hmm. was born December 23rd, 1867. A, I love people who are born in December. B, is it <laughs> Sarah with an H or no? Yes. Okay. Sarah with an H. Got it. Um, in Delta, Louisiana. So Delta is like a really, really small area. Like I think I heard somewhere that like their population in 2019 was like 600 people. <laughs> like it's a really tiny area. Um, her so parents- she's... African-American born in the 1800s in the South. Yes. Okay. Just being clear. Just making it clear. Her parents were Owen and Minerva Breedlove, another Minerva. Great. Uh, She was the fifth of six children (gasps) in the Breedlove household. But, oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, she was the sixth. My baby. She's the baby? Wait, no. She's the fifth. She's the second to the baby? She had three older brothers and an older sister and then a younger brother. Okay, cool. Okay. But. She was the first child born after the Emancipation Proclamation. So she was the first free born child to the family. I just got chills. I know. (laughs) Um, Her family had been slaves on the Madison Parish Plantation owned by Robert W. Burney. But now they were all set free. So they were able to really go ahead and start a new life. 
Unfortunately, though, shortly after they had been freed in 1872, Minerva dies from cholera, which was really rampant in the communities that traveled up and down the Mississippi River. And that's like right where they were. They were literally, I mean, their town was called Delta and they were at the Delta, the Mississippi River. Oh. Um, so her father remarries, but then he dies one year later after and one year after that, leaving her an orphan at the age of seven with her stepmother. Yeah, she does remarry. So, but now, um, so he was just married to her for like a hot minute. Ugh. And now, like, you know, so she didn't really consider her like too much of a stepmother figure. So, and then she was like, well, these aren't my kids. And like, there's a million of them. So I'm just going to leave. It's like Cinderella's mom. <laughs> right, exactly. So she moves to Vicksburg, Mississippi, and moves in with her older sister, Luvania, and her brother in law and finds work as a domestic house servant. And she was also working in the cotton fields in the area with her sister. Uh, At this point, she'd only had three months of formal education. And that only came from Sunday school literacy lessons. So, like, basically nothing at all. She knew the word thou. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) pretty much. During this time, however, she was also being abused by her brother-in-law And she just, like, really needed a way out. It had gone on for way too long. So at the age of 14, she marries a man named Moses McWilliams. She's 14. Sarah and Moses had one daughter, Alelia Walker, who was born on June 6th, 6th, 1885. But just two years later, Moses dies in 1887. Sarah was only 20, and Alelia was two years old. Alelia is a spot-on name. Mm-hmm. That's, That's good. really good. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I heard somewhere, too, that it was Lelia. And then when she got married later on and changed her name, she changed her name to Alelia. Wow. So I'm not really sure why. But but yeah. So but I'm just going to keep with the Alelia. Um, I love that. So I'm not sure when exactly it changed. <laughs> I wish I knew it before I had I my kids. Come on, <laughs> CJ. I actually I heard I saw this really funny article that was about how all these women who have been having babies over the past couple of years have been naming their daughters Khaleesi and like after Daenerys Targaryen. And now because she's turning into like a the mad queen, spoiler alert, like people are really regretting it. They're like, oh no. <laughs> Whoops. Should have stuck with Lily. Um, she- okay. I'm officially named after Alexander the Great, right? <laughs> he was crazy too. We're all named after crazy people. True. Catherine of Aragon. Uh-huh. Just kidding. She was great, actually. <laughs> we covered her. Check her out in season one. <laughs> Maybe that was season two. I don't remember. I don't either. That's because we're drunk every time. <laughs> okay. Alelia. So she moves to St. Louis with her two-year-old daughter to join three of her brothers who were working as barbers. During this time, she lived in this really amazing community where ragtime music was actively being developed. Like, it's not like it was already there. Like, (laughs) I know. Like, I don't know how this, like, Casey and I were in New Orleans and we're watching these jazz musicians and it's absolutely insane the types of music that it's just so ingrained in them. They just come up with it. Yeah. I I also, I can't imagine things like the Harlem Renaissance where it's just like, there is just like the talent is rampant mm-hmm. and like not accepted by like the pop culture. Right. So it's so counterculture yeah. and it's just so <laughs> cool. And you're just like, I want to be a part of it. Yeah. But I'm not because yeah. I was white and born in the nineties. <laughs> so I liked NSYNC. <laughs> it's amazing. So 
she's in this super musical community. She's singing at this church, the St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. And she is around all these new types of women. And she's watching these women. And she keeps thinking to herself, God, I wish I was educated. And she starts just desiring for this different type of life for herself. And she just makes that like her number one priority. So she finds work as a laundress and she's making a dollar fifty a day, which was like just enough to send her daughter to public school. Cool. So while she's working hard to provide a life for her and her daughter, she keeps suffering from these horrible scalp conditions. She has really bad dandruff. Her scalp is sore. She starts to lose her hair. And this was actually really common among African-American women at the time because there was these really harsh ingredients in soap at the time, mainly lye. And it, it was causing their scalps to be rough and dry and prone to ailments. And there's other like contributing factors too, including a poor diet because they couldn't afford incredibly nutritious food, uh, illnesses, which were rampant in those areas because they didn't have access to, you know, indoor plumbing and central heating and electricity, um, infrequent bathing because again, they didn't have indoor plumbing. And so they couldn't wash their hair as often. And then when they were washing, it was with these harsh soaps. And so this was like kind of rampant in among like African-American women at the time. And I, w- I feel like this is such an important point of interest because there is a woman, a baby boomer woman that I know who was specifically very uncomfortable about the opening of a new like beauty shop for like just you know there's like beauty shops that are like specifically for african-american women where like all the products are for that she was like i just don't understand why they need another beauty shop i was like well do they have anything in giant for these women or super fresh no you need something different Right. And you're now insulted about this store when obviously there's nothing we can give you in the quote unquote normal store, which is the white person stuff. Right. Exactly. When I go and shop for foundation, it's very easy. Buff Mm -hmm. beige, of course. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Buff beige. In the the winter, it's nude. (laughs) In the summer. But it's, I think that people don't understand that there is like, a difference in what you need oh yeah and we will get into that like the black hair care industry is intense so ready um so she is having all these scalp issues so she starts learning a little bit about hair care from her brothers because they were barbers but then she starts learning even more when she becomes a sales rep for a black hair care company called poro hair which is run by a woman named annie malone So Annie Malone is a character who is shockingly similar to Madame C.J. Walker. Love it. She was an orphan who became interested in chemistry and hair care at an early age. She used both of those skills to improve on an old family recipe for relaxed hair and created Poirot. So by the 1920s, Annie Malone had become a multimillionaire. In 1924, she paid income tax of nearly $40,000, which was the highest of any person in Missouri at the time. Wow. And while she was extremely wealthy, she lived really, really modestly and just would give money away all the time. So she was constantly donating, especially to like the YMCA and specifically Howard University, which is in D.C., which we live close to. Yes. A very historical black institution. Um, So that's Annie Malone. 
but it's I'll get into why I think we don't hear more about her and why we only hear about Walker. Um, but there's always a predecessor to the sister. I mean, it's just like, you know, we talked about that woman with Helen Keller. Who was yeah. the Helen Keller before Helen Keller? <laughs> and when we do Rosa, Par- Rosa Parks, we'll talk yeah. about the the pre Rosa Parks. Uh-huh. Of course, we will. It just sometimes you have to be the cobblestone that someone else walks on. Right, exactly. So in 1905, she's 37, and she moves her and her daughter to Denver, Colorado, which I would just never place her like that far out west. Go, girl. Go I west. wouldn't either. Is that even a state? <laughs> I know. It's a territory. <laughs> I don't know. It's part of the Louisiana Purchase. So I guess not. So she is still selling Malone's products and she's learning some of the trade secrets. And this is where she starts to develop her own hair care products, which would soon cause a huge rift between her and Annie Malone because they would become each other's biggest rivals. Right. <laughs> Intellectual property. In right. today's world, she'd never get away oh my with gosh, that shit. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly the controversy. Like, the recipe was so very similar. Because Annie Malone was not, uh, like, she, like, encouraged women to, like, learn and, like, get new jobs and, like, be entrepreneurs. But she was like, oh, but you can't be literally taking my recipe. <laughs> she was like, this has been in my family for a hundred years. I, and I improved on and it. You're Pepsi. Right. <laughs> so, but you know, there wasn't much legally she could do. And you know, she went like, she was putting her own twist on things. So it's not exactly like she was like ABC. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it now and put my face on it. She was citing her sources, but not right. like word for wording it. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that's, she was, Maybe she like wasn't citing her sources. Oh, okay. Maybe that was the problem. No bibliography page. <laughs> Maybe she mentioned her in the paper, but then didn't give her a citation. Need a citation, not just in text, girl. <laughs> so she starts marketing herself as an independent hairdresser and a retailer of cosmetic creams. Um, and she started, oh, I'm sorry, before this, because she needs to become Madam C.J. Walker first. So 1906, she marries a Charles Walker, who was a newspaper advertisement salesman, um, thus making her officially Madam C.J. Walker. This is when she started, you know, really promoting herself, and she started selling Madam Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower, which was a scalp conditioning and healing formula, which she claimed had been revealed to her in a dream. Wow. <laughs> yep. uh, her husband, who was also her business partner, provided advice on advertising and promotion. And she sold. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and she sold her products door to door. Um, and then she started teaching these other black women who she was selling her products to. She wasn't just selling it to them. She was teaching them how to use it and how to groom and style their hair. Because, you know, it's not like super intuitive, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. My moment that I I had a breakthrough was when I was watching the Malcolm X like documentary where mm-hmm. he was like trying to like straighten his hair and his like yeah. scalp is burning. And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, my life is so easy. Right exactly i can't even understand so um they're doing this she puts her daughter in charge of the mail orders and she tours the country selling and demonstrating her hair products in 1908 she and her husband relocate to pittsburgh pennsylvania where they opened up a beauty parlor and established the lilia college to train hair culturists 
And as an advocate of black women's economic independence, she opened up all these training programs with the Walker system. And so this was like her national network of licensed sales agents who earned a really good commission. Right. So the Walker system included a shampoo, a pomade, which was stated to help hair grow, strenuous brushing, and applying iron combs to hair. This method claimed to make lackluster and brittle hair become soft and luxurious. It also made for a stronger sales force because her women were like actively engaging with their customers. Like I was saying earlier, like how she started out. They're like Avon girls. Exactly. She was like literally the original Avon. And so she surrounded herself with this like really solid group of people, most of whom were women. And it was really important to Walker to introduce black women to the professional world. Uh, Her daughter also encouraged her to open up an office in a beauty salon in Harlem, which was becoming this like growing epicenter for African-American culture. Um, And Alelia would become a really important patron of black artists in this scene. In Harlem? Yes. The Harlem Renaissance is like a massive part of the like Maryland 10th grade curriculum. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. The Harlem Renaissance is like a whole two units of yeah. like, this is what happened. That's amazing. I wish I knew like, because I always feel like it's mentioned and I want, like, I wish that I <laughs> had that intensive course on it. <laughs> it's just very interesting to me. Um, <clears throat> so they're big patrons of that. She's rocking and rolling and she's increasing her sales agents by the thousands each year. By 1917, her company had trained nearly 20 thousand women wow (laughs) she once said i am not merely satisfied in making money for myself for i am endeavoring to provide employment for hundreds of women of my race i want to say to every negro woman present don't sit down and wait for the opportunities to come get up and make them and she was super on to brand awareness from early on So she had her, she was not only like training this one, but she was also like having them dress a little bit nicer and she had them all wearing the same uniform. They had these simple white shirts, black skirts, and they carried black satchels and everyone knew exactly who they were. Just like the Avon women. Like, you know, if an Avon woman's coming to your fucking house. Yeah. Because she's (laughs) like, no, the Mary Kay have pink, right? Oh yes. Pink cars. Yes. And She also made sure that the packaging was really attractive and consistent and it carried her name and her image. And she also knew exactly who to market to. She placed ads in all the African-American magazines and the newspaper and she knew exactly which neighborhoods to send her salespeople to. And I think that like one of Annie Malone's mistakes was that she marketed at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, which it was just like this important like milestone there because... The Wait, wor- the St. Louis State Fair? Yes. Did you do a musical about that where you were the I main did. character and you sang all the songs? I did. <laughs> if anyone would like me to sing a rendition of Ding, 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 Went the Trolley, whatever that song was, I will. I, I absolutely want you to do Which that. Which reminds me, that's what we should do this Saturday. We should go do karaoke because I've never done it. <gasps> You're a liar. I'm not. I'm going to sing Ace of Base. I'm going to sing Judy Garland. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> ding 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 with the trial. Okay, go. So <laughs> I was gonna go into it, but I can't. All right. So at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, Annie Malone started wanted to sell her products, but 
they did not officially ban black people from the event, but the patrons and the exhibitors made it very clear that they were unwelcome. They were refused food, souvenirs, even water. So they're like, yeah, come on in. But like, you can't really participate. That's what they did to Catherine Switzer. They were yeah, like, exactly. We say women can't run yeah. in the marathon, but women can't run in the marathon. Yes. And Which also she liked the picture you put up of my 5K. Did you see that? No. Oh, amazing. That's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I died a little inside. <laughs> um, so according to historian Angela Da Silva, there were also these like racist parades of black people and exhibits with photos of African tribes claiming they were the missing link between humans and apes. Oh, so God. it was just like not the best place to sell products for African-American women where like they're really not, you know, welcome. And to be clear, it wasn't like this ruined Annie's business. She was still a millionaire. But I think it was like this and like some other key things that made Madam C.J. Walker different and like mm-hmm. above and beyond where Annie Malone had been. Right. So, but yeah, so, but I think that's like an interesting like little tidbit in history to include here because mm-hmm. it's really important to consider the history of the black hair market as well. Because, you know, eventually like, I mean, Walker, she's expanding her business internationally. At this point, she's also selling in the Caribbean. But there's this really great documentary called Good Hair by Chris Rock. And it's all about like the history of black hair. I watched it when I was in college and it was so good because one of my professors also made a documentary about hair called roots of love. And, but this one is all about black hair and they have all these people and they're talking about like, like there's this one guy, he says, if your hair is relaxed, white people are relaxed. If it's nappy, they're not happy. Cause like, they want like white people feel so much more comfortable when they're talking to a black person when they have hair more similar to them because they don't get it. And then it becomes a problem of like, I want to touch your hair. And they're like, please fucking don't like yeah. <laughs> it is one thing that I am massively passionate about is the black hair community. And I know I don't even need have a right to be passionate yeah. <laughs> about it. But like, I know that like, I grew up in a situation where I had to pay zero money to make yeah. my hair look the way it does. And my entire community base like really needed to work very, very hard. Yeah. And it it's it's so shocking to have to watch and then to have to think about the money and then to have to think about just the care yeah. that goes into it. And like my kids will have sleepovers and they might have like um, an African-American friend come over and then their African-American friend is like scared to like put a scarf over their head to like keep their hair down. But like their mom comes over in the morning and is like, what did you do last night? And it's like, I only know those little quirks because like I've read like in Gabrielle Union's um, memoirs, I guess in her book, mm-hmm. she like talks about that, how like yeah. I would go to my white friend's house and would be scared to do my treatments. So then yeah. I woke up looking like horrible. Yeah. And it's like, because of that, I'm so sensitive to it, but I also know I can't be like, well, you can't be like, I know what you're going. I get yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like, I don't know what so you're going through. <laughs> but then when, during lemonade, when Beyonce put out and it was like Becky with the good hair, yes. I was like, Beyonce, 
you're the one with the good I hair. Know. But it's like because it's so treated like she feels inadequate like how could Beyonce she's a queen I know and she feels inadequate yeah and hair I know and it's such a big deal and I really would I do it's such a big deal I encourage you to go see this documentary it like makes you think about it so differently because I know my very close friends when I was a kid were like they were Nigerian Mm -hmm. and I remember just like they would come to church with these like different hairstyles sometimes be like oh my gosh how did you like totally change your hair like I didn't understand it yeah when I was a kid I was like Vivian we love you oh. <laughs> Vivian and Victoria and Ashley and Colin they're so great you guys are queens and Colin I you're the greatest <laughs> <laughs> but like and I was always just so like amazed by it you know mm-hmm. and but they also had to spend like they're like oh yeah this took like four hours I was like what you were at the salon for four, four hours? hours, which also like people are like, why is that? Why are like the barbershop and the beauty salon like so important? And like, why are people like, sitting out front spend all day there? Because it takes all day. Like, why are people <laughs> sitting outside? Because again, it's nice out. I don't know from personal experience, but like from talking to people and seeing this documentary, like there's um, we are the whitest of white I girls know, trying to have this conversation. This. <laughs> no, we're trying. We're trying. We need to invite on somebody to help us try. <laughs> but it's been not only a struggle, but also a very expensive struggle for a long time. And it's come in waves. So like in the 50s, black women were expected to have straightened and relaxed hair. And we're in these like cute 1950s style, just like the white women, even though it takes 10 times longer for them to get it like that and keep it like that. But in the late 60s and 70s, people like Angela Davis are encouraging them to keep it natural. And the Afro came back into style. And now I feel like it's kind of like a mix. Like some celebrities are like, yeah, I keep it natural. And some are like, no, I do the you know straightening and I, you know, and I have the weave in or whatever. And both should be fine. Yeah. And that's the thing. I feel like it's becoming more like, oh, yeah, everything is cool like if you want because like do what you're gonna do yeah because i feel like sometimes there's like some backlash like oh you shouldn't have a weave in like because you should be celebrating your natural Mm -hmm. hair and sometimes it's like well no but i want to like be able to shake my hair and like i want like this look yeah i mean if you guys if you have not read gabrielle union's we're gonna need more wine check yourself (laughs) because that shit will change your life yeah i need to read that um but But yeah, and then, of course, like, they talk about how harsh the chemicals are to straighten hair. Like, there's this scene where this inventor or, like, this scientist guy is, like, it's, like, melting a can of Coke. Like, he's, like, yeah, and it burns their scalp. Like, if you've ever seen America's Next Top Model, you also know, like, hair treatments are dangerous sometimes. And they can burn and sting. And... And like, make you cry. Yeah. And it's just, that's just what they're doing. This is the shit they have to put up with. Like, <laughs> to what? To look more white? To like, it's so, it's so horribly crazy sometimes. Yeah. Well, and also, like, I did, there's this one part where, like, Chris Rock was like, like, talking to this woman. He was like, can I, like, he's like, oh, like, you have, like, the soft, like, wavy hair. Can I, like, you know, run my fingers through your hair? She was like, absolutely not. Don't fucking touch my hair. <laughs> like, even like Chris Rock who's like a part of that community she's like fuck you like no (laughs) don't touch my hair um but okay so anyways back to the story uh so Madam CJ Walker is not only hiring women and training them to work for her and her business she's teaching them how to budget how to manage money and how to build their own businesses she's encouraging them to branch out and become entrepreneurs 
And her goal was to make more women financially independent. So she forms groups of agents into these like local clubs. I mean, this really is the baby child of Ava. <laughs> I love it. So, and this would become the National Beauty Culturist and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents, which is quite a mouthful. I love that. Uh, they had their first conference in Philadelphia in the summer of 1917. 200 women attended. And the conference is believed to have been among the first national gatherings of women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. During the convention, she would give prizes to women who had sold the most products. She would bring in the like and she brought in like all these new sale agents. And she also rewarded those who made the largest contributions to charities in their communities. Oh, I know. And then, of course, she was super involved in philanthropy and shit. She raised <laughs> funds to help establish a branch. <laughs> philanthropy and shit. <laughs> Uh, she helped raise funds to establish a branch of the YMCA in Indianapolis's black community. And she pledged $1,000 to the building fund, which in today's money is around $25,000. Mm. She contributed scholarship funds to the Tuskegee Institute. And in July of 1917, when a white mob murdered more than three dozen blacks in East St. Louis, Illinois, she joined a group of Harlem leaders who visited the White House and to present a petition advocating for federal anti-lynching legislation. And she also contributed $5,000 to the movement, which is about $125,000 today. Oh, my word. That's so much money. I love her. Uh, she also, in you know, supporting the arts, commissioned Bert, Bertner Tandy, who was the first licensed black architect in New York to design her house in Irvington on Hudson, New York. She wanted this place to become a gathering place for community leaders and to aspire, inspire other African-Americans to pursue their dreams. So she moves into the house in May 1918, and she hosted this incredible opening event to honor Emmett J. Scott, who at that time was the Assistant Secretary for Negro Affairs of the U.S. Department of War. Mm. And during World War I, speaking of the war, she was also a leader in the Circle for Negro War Relief and advocated for the establishment of a training camp specifically for black army officers. Then she became really more involved in political matters after her move to New York. She delivered lectures on political, economic, and social issues at conventions and um, sponsored by black institutions. She was friends with Booker T. Washington and W.E. Du Bois. And not long after... But not long after World War I ended, I mean, she is just going, going, going. She's doing all this stuff. She becomes very sick. And she passes away on May 25th, 1919, at the age of 51. Wow. Due to hypertension and kidney failure. At the time of her death, Walker, is consi Walker was considered to be the wealthiest African-American woman in America. Although she was eulogized as the first female self-made millionaire in america and i do want to emphasize that it wasn't black female it was just female just female her estate was worth an estimated six hundred thousand dollars which is about eight million dollars in today's money Ooh. after her upon her death when she died she bequeathed nearly a hundred thousand dollars to orphanages institutions and individuals her will directed two-thirds of her future net profits of her estate to charity her daughter, Alelia, took over as head of the company and stayed in that position until her own death 
which was in 1931, so wow. not even that long after, and it was the same thing that killed her mother, hypertension and kidney Man. failure. So now her great-great-granddaughter, Alelia Bundles, wrote a book about uh, Walker um, called On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, and she is also currently producing a series about her life starring Octavia Spencer, which is really exciting. Yes. And you can still purchase Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture at Sephora. And I want to end on a quote of hers that I love. She said, I want you to understand that your first duty is to humanity. I want others to look at us and see that we care, not just about ourselves, but about others. And that is the life of Madam C.J. Walker. I love that. A.K.A. Sarah Breedlove. Sarah Breedlove. Mm -hmm. Girl. How fun. I know. So. I'm so ready to talk about these women together. In a little segment we like to call. Just the two of us. I can't even. <laughs> I mean, the first note I had was they were both first generation of something. Yeah. You know, because Sarah or, you know, you know, Madam Walker, she was the first generation, not a slave. Right. Of a slave family. That's what I put that that she was the first generation of being a free child. Yeah. And I know, like, obviously, Barbara Walters was first generation Jewish immigrant. And I will never like front on like the anti-semitism like stage but like i felt like she was the first generation of the second wave second wave feminists Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. in like not family senses but in like a media sense like she was a second wave feminist and before anybody else was right yeah exactly which is so cool and it's so hard to be the first of anything is not easy. No, it's not. And I also I wonder if there was like any sort of guilt that either of them felt. You know I'm what I'm sure. Because I feel like being that first generation, it requires not only a ton of bravery. <laughs> yeah. But also like because I know like some people like because like Casey, I've talked about this, like, you know, like the like imposter syndrome of like, yeah. oh, like I'm just trying to be someone like how come all of my people up until now have been doing X, Y, Z and I'm doing like all these crazy, th- amazing things. Well, I love that she said she at in her like last interview to public, she said she had so much shoulda, coulda, woulda syndrome. It was like, I'm just like you. Yeah. Like, I don't think I did the right thing all the time. And I think it was so cool that like, she probably felt that way. And CJ Walker probably felt that way. And every woman we've discussed probably had self doubt. Right. And it doesn't matter how long you live. Cause Barbara Walters is now almost 90. Yeah. She's going to be 90 in a few months. She's great. And <laughs> you know, and Madam CJ Walker only lived to be 51. Yeah. That's crazy. And do you know, what's also crazy. I know women who are almost 90 in my personal life that I am like, you're a great person. Yeah. And I know women in my life who are in their 50s that yeah. I look at them and I'm like, you're a great person. And I think it's just a testament to like, we don't talk about women's history enough. No, no, we definitely do not. And especially because I thought the way they handled their, and again, like, as I was thinking, like, we don't talk about women's history a lot. We don't talk about different types of mothers a lot. No. Which is very important because 
they the way they brought their daughters into their lives was so very different. Very. Because I feel like Madam Walker was like, oh, my gosh, no, you're going to be a part of this. You're going to run the mailing stuff like you're going to be all in. You're going to take over the company. And Barbara Walters was like, uh, you need to be separate. And then her daughter was like, yeah, I don't want any part of this. Yeah. Like because I also think it's partially like I'm sure if she was like, hey, mom, I want to also be a journalist and be awesome like you, whatever. Mm-hmm. She would be like, yeah, come on into the limelight. There's right. more than enough room. But like <laughs> I thought it was also so perfect how they both spoke on beauty. Mm, like mm-hmm. Barbara Walters really felt not beautiful. Mm. And I find that so sad because she's such a beautiful woman. Like yeah. to hear her say these like self-deprecating things over and over again. And then I also wonder how it must feel to be an African-American woman and be like, I wish a newscaster could do my hair like that. Right. I wish I could go on screen and not give them a list of 10 things they can't do to my hair. How many black women have showed up for a TV interview and had their hair destroyed by a white, like, you know, look at Oprah. That's exactly what happened to her. And, and it was the beginning of our season talking about that. And I am, I will not criticize every white hair artist. Obviously, many of you are super educated and you know mm-hmm. what you're doing, but <laughs> there are just different standards. Yeah. And the standards for beauty, well, the sad part is women are judged by beauty. Yeah. CJ Walker, amazing woman. Barbara Walters, amazing woman. And both of them are speaking on beauty. Right. Exactly. Because I think they both knew that it's, not something they wanted like because that's the thing like i feel like walker was like i'm making beauty products but i am interested in so much more right than this and i feel like barbara walters was the same like it's kind of a means to an end but i'm gonna kind of skirt around it you know <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> i love the idea that cj walker was very into teaching women mm-hmm. how to be something how to yes. be an entrepreneur and I don't think Barbara Walters was necessarily an educator in the sense that she was like trying that. Yeah. But I do think that she was so revolutionary that there was no looking away. Yes. You couldn't turn your head. Yeah. Away from what she was doing without being like, hell yeah, girl. I got you. She wasn't exactly like, all right, I'm making an institute for young female journalists. Like, you know, I feel like Walker was so like heavily ingrained in it and was like, these are like X, Y, and Z of what I'm doing to do what I like. My goal is, which is to bring more women into this. Yeah. Like, and I mean, for sure though, like Oprah was into her and like Katie Kirk is into her. And like, she, yeah. she interviewed Ellen when she was like, well, that's being thing. a I don't think person it, for gay rights. And now yeah. Ellen's like the best daytime right. ever host. Cause I don't think that it was quite as necessary as it was back then. Yeah. You know, now in Barbara Walter's age, you could lead by example and still Perfect. be accomplishing what Walker was trying to Perfect, do. Perfect, for sure. Because like you needed Madam C.J. Walker to bring out that new generation of women who was like, oh, I can break those barriers mm-hmm. so that the next generation, Barbara Walter's generation, didn't even have to ask. They were just like, I'm going to do that. My favorite thing you said was um, that she was watching these other women and was like i wish i was that educated yeah because i think we all watch each other and i think 
that a lot of times it's negative. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's so sad because women love to help other women. Yeah. But we always feel like the woman we're asking for help from wants to be like an alpha female. But yeah. women aren't like that. And I do think that that perspective is changing. Like, I think that women are becoming more cooperative. Yeah. Like, I think we saw that at the girl, Vans Girl Skate Day. My God. It was beautiful. Just all these girls. Like, it wasn't like, God damn, I wish I could have that style or I wish I could do that trick. Like, God, it was like, hey, that is so cool. Like, I'm Show really, me how you did yeah. that. Can you give me a tip? Like, we should skate more together. Maybe I can, like, pick up some of that. You yeah, know, here's it, my phone number. It was, like, so non-competitive. It was shocking, honestly. Like, it shocked me to my core. It shocked me, too, <laughs> because I'm not like that. I yeah. am. I am very competitive, but I was also one to two decades older than, than right. some of the girls there. So, like... Watching them be so non-competitive and so in love with each other uh, was like me being like, wow, girls have made it. I know. I was like, did I waste my youth? <laughs> <laughs> what have I been doing? <laughs> I, I think jealousy is an incredible force for women. Mm-hmm. And I think that it comes from the fact that our worth has been built for so long on uh, male approval. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been very, very easy for us to decide what's important because we're choosing what men think is important. Right. And I also like I was thinking about this during both of the stories because neither of them was doing something that hadn't been done before. I wrote that they both improved on a classic. Yes. So it's not like, you know, women, for sure. It's not like African-American women were doing absolutely nothing about their hair. Mm. They had been doing something about their hair, but now it's like she is providing this new service. Yeah. I mean, it's literally the definition of an entrepreneur, right? Finding that niche thing that everybody wants and capitalizing off of it. And, and also exactly girl, what she did do whatever the hell you want with your hair. Right. Exactly. And don't subscribe to white person beauty for yeah, you. Exactly. And I also think that Barbara Walters took the classic interview and was like, I'm going to turn it up on its head. Yeah. I'm going to do things that people don't do. And there were other women who were like the Today Show girl before mm-hmm. her. Right. There were other women who did that. There were other women who made black hair products, Annie Malone, but we don't talk about them. Right. There's sometimes that you need you need to step on a stepping stone of other women. Like I wouldn't be where I am without a million other generations of women before me. Right. Exactly. I mean, quite literally, we did a whole episode on Catherine Switzer. Yeah. And it's like that's such a big part of your life. It's I, like I that run every day. I ran away. ten miles today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and what? Well, like why? I would never do that without someone like her. Do you know what I mean? No, exactly. And then, like, I think about, like, the fact that I'm a teacher and then that I work at a university and I see these young women and men who, like, want to be teachers. And I'm just like, here's how you be a teacher. Yeah. There you go. It's just, you just hand it down. It's right. a hand-me-down culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Well, and again, like, improving on the classic and just not being afraid of, like, losing what makes you special. Because I think... That is also a very cool thing. True. Not everybody can spark fire. No. And that's the thing. you, ha- And that's exactly what made Walker stand out. And Barbara Walters was like, not only did they have like that ingenious like brain power, but they were also just amazing personalities. Yeah. You know, that just 
everybody knew who they were and when they were in a room. (laughs) And that is a quality that you cannot teach. You can't. You just can't. You just are. Yeah. You want to toast these ladies? I do want to toast. I feel like these are two bangers, and I'm so excited. It's the end of season two. (laughs) I feel like we killed it. We did. That was a really good episode. Also, like, not nearly enough dilly-dallying as there was in the last season two closer. Uh, (laughs) Or season one closer. Last season two closer, we all remember, but Katie also bought us some adorable rosé that we're about to drink. I did. So we're trying to speed up to that. Exactly. So... I'll, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? I'll toast. I feel like you always toast first. So I'm going to go first. Okay, do it, girl. A little bit more, give you a little bit more thinking time. Change it out. Change it out. I'm going to toast women with entrepreneurial spirits because it's something like I always thought that I would be that type of person and I don't think that I am. And <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's an amazing thing. And I think that Walker was so inspiring to me learning about her today because she exactly I mean that's like most of her quotes are like just go out there and do it like anybody can do it like you can make it when it's like well let's be honest not everybody can make it which I think is an important (laughs) (laughs) but you know she just she worked so hard she personally worked so hard and so I would just like to toast the women entrepreneurs of the world because you're so inspiring and you are making waves in a mostly male-dominated world, yeah, which is so important, and you are leading the ways for other women. So cheers. Hey, we need you. <laughs> so toast. Oh, great toast. <laughs> to all the women, I think, who use their platform to show other women what they can do, mm. I think that's so important. But also who don't go easy on other women. Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to stand on a platform and like give people an excuse because they're a woman. Mm -hmm. And I love like when people like Barbara Walters will stare somebody in the face and be like, but why did you do that? Yeah. I think that's so important Um, because it doesn't make all women look like they're good. Like it it takes women off of the pedestal, which Mm -hmm. is where I think we need to be right now. We need to be down off of this, you know, majesty pedestal where we are equivalent and saying like, I'm going to fight in the trenches right with you. Mm -hmm. But I also think she used her platform to like look sexist men in the face and make them stumble over why they said stupid sexist things which is great because we currently have a cousin or you have a cousin um who is just like so smart and brave and strong to just be like make somebody who makes a comment on social media june her name's june who does not expect like positive feedback but knows that they're strong enough to answer every comment i feel like that is so powerful so to all the women who are brave enough to speak their opinion and know that they have the wherewithal to just like be like yeah i got it yeah and that's like because like 
I've been obviously following like what my cousin June has been posting and it's amazing because it's like all the things that I want to say, but I'm too afraid to do it. Too scared. And we have I'm the same scared. exact family that I'm afraid of. You know what right. I'm saying? Like we all have the same family. I yeah. mean, they're in-laws to me so I can right. do what I yeah. want, but they're not to her and yeah. they're not to you. So she's brave enough to say, this is how I feel knowing that she has a very, very Right. And so unapologetic because I feel like sometimes I'm like, I'm sorry I'm saying this because I know that other people may have different opinions, you know, and like she's not. She was just like and I love it because her and her husband are both military people. Yeah. And they're both super strong. But and like he's like kind of a macho guy. And I love it in instances where like he'll be like, well, I don't really think that's necessarily true. And she goes, "Uh, Joe, shut up. No, it's very true. (laughs) And like she just like shut I love it. I love it. And it's so good. Um, Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. So just for the women who are brave enough to say what they think and also back it up. Yes. That's to you. Up like a floppy disk. And back it up. (laughs) What year is it? (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. What do you have to promo? Okay. So I have a serious and non-serious promo. Oh so gosh. my serious Two. one, I know, I know I'm breaking the rules, blah, 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 blah. Um, but this is about all the stuff that's been going on this week with Alabama. I mean, this is going to be a little bit later on when we post this episode. I mean, it'll be Thursday, but if you are, oh yeah, this Thursday, right? Cause I was away. Okay, perfect. So it's not that behind, <laughs> um, but the stuff going on in Alabama with the abortion laws, it's very scary. And if you are feeling lost and if you are feeling like you just don't know what to do and you're scared. There is a great list of ways to support women with who live in states with very restrictive um, abortion laws. It's um, on the cut.com. And I'm sure if you just Google, how do I help? You will find ways you can donate money to the correct institutions. Cause you know, there are some that are better than others mm-hmm. um, and some that focus more on those women. So, you know, there's a, uh, I can't remember the one, it's something yellow, but it's like specifically focused on women in Alabama who need access to abortion care. Um, so go there and just, even if like you don't end up doing anything, you can also just see all the other things that women are doing to support these women because it's very scary. Um, so try not to, uh, be too depressed about it, but also, think about it because Mm -hmm. it's very serious and just because maryland has codified roe and it's not going to affect us it's going to affect a lot of women and i i also really 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 encourage our more right-wing conservative listeners to just go on a venture Mm -hmm. an internet venture because i am i will i will not tell you you're a hundred percent wrong because Mm -hmm. it's not the greatest thing to say to a person, but yeah. also like just go on an adventure of like really trying to see what, what it's like for somebody else. Right. Because just because you couldn't personally do it doesn't mean that every woman in America should not have access to it. Right. And there are just so many circumstances that you could not even dream of. And, but yeah, so if you're feeling like you want to do something, thecut.com has a really nice list. Um, so go there. You can also visit, you know, plannedparenthood.com, neighborallprochoice.com, all those things. Uh, and then my less serious one, which was my original one before all this stuff came up, um, <laughs> 
is I was thinking about beauty products Do and you mean before America went to shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> before my ovaries shriveled up in fear. Before um, this turned into yeah. <laughs> the Handmaid's Tales in America. <laughs> so this I was thinking of beauty products and there has been a beauty product which has really helped me the past couple months. Um, I've referenced it a few times. So I've had always had very, very bad skin and acne. And I started using this face wash and this cream and it has honestly just changed the game for me. I've had, and like, I'm not being paid for this or anything. Like I've just like had, I've had clean skin, like clear skin for a few months now, like occasional pimple and what, but they like go away pretty quickly. It's called, it's from Neutrogena. It's called rapid clear for stubborn acne. It's in a red and white container. You should use the cream and the little, you know, like, you know, the, the face wash and the cream. And then if you're really feeling like you need something, I also put an apricot scrub on sometimes to like really get in there. So I'll post a picture of the products because they honestly, Do it, girl, you're, you're an acne girl. I am. And if you're, cause like I always would try different stuff and then like they'd stop working after two weeks. And this has been since January. That's a long time. It's for a you. long fucking time. So I'm super excited. So if anybody, I don't know what's going to happen in summertime when I'm sweating a lot more. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to figure it out. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But it's fine. And it's working now. And so if you're struggling with that, you know, Give it a try if you have very stubborn acne like I did. So there we go. <laughs> I feel like yours are so real. Oh, they're very real. It's because they've been <laughs> on my mind a lot, these two things. <laughs> so I want to promote the show, The Umbrella Academy. Have you watched this at all? <gasps> no, but I've heard it so good. Katie, it is through the roof my type of show. <gasps> So Ellen Page, if you guys watch Juno, mm. Ellen Page is like one of the people in the Umbrella Academy. It's very like X-Men meets the magicians meets like there's this group of special people who are dealing with shit and like trying to get it together. And there's like time lapses. And like if you are a nerdy person like <laughs> me, <laughs> it is worth a watch. It's not a perfect show. It's not like a show like Stranger Things or Sopranos that's going to go down in history. Yeah. I'm not going to fib with you. Like, yeah. it's not a perfect show, mm -hmm. but it's a good show. I also I found out like when it was first coming out that the guy, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, Gerard Way, wrote the comic yeah. book that it was based off of. And it's so good. Yeah, it is. It's a very good fun superhero show that doesn't suck the life out of you. Mm. I think there are some shows that like suck the life out of you yeah. and you're like, why? Right. <laughs> and then like the head of like this time travel initiative is like Addison from Grey's Anatomy and I'm like, hey girl, <laughs> I know you. <laughs> Friend? Hey. So, <laughs> it's fun. I don't, I don't know. I think sometimes you just gotta I think this is the perfect trifecta of things. Be fun. Because if you need to be fun and take your mind off shit, I feel like that's a good show to get into. It's it. And like you, you're watching it and you're like, what just happened? And then you're like, let's watch another one. Yeah. You also, know. Ellen Page is so cute. I love she's her. adorable mm -hmm. and she's great. And one day Juno will be a round table, I think, for us. Right? Yes, because it's my favorite movie. And it's like the first female director that ever got nominated for an Oscar. Diablo Cody. Let's do that. Let's do it. We should also have Maria be on that episode. <sighs> yes. That would be very interesting. Break Perfect. it down. All Break right. It down. Guys, next week we're doing a round table. Mm -hmm. It'll be great. 
We're going to be reading the Scarlet Letter and have you started ch 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 yet? chatting about no because I'm uh reading Crazy Rotations right now, Katie, and I'm obsessed with you're it. You're not. So I it's need great. To... That's great. You're not going to finish the Scarlet. What? Letter. Yes, I will. It's old English and it's hard. Do you want my I'll audible account? Notes. You need my audible account. Uh, I actually should do that. I'll give you my audible I'm account. Driving a thousand hours this week. It's so. seven and a half hours on audible. You got Ooh. it. Okay. I can you, do that. You can do it. I can do that. Okay. That might be the best way to go then. <laughs> Everybody. I always think I have all this time to read and then I'm like, hmm. Start now no, because Nathaniel Hawthorne makes people say, and so. Instead it's funny because yes. I was like, oh, it's like a really small book. Like I'll be able to whack that out in a few days. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will just do the audiobook. <laughs> Sorry. We have on a full-time librarian next week. Yes. And also Olivia, who we had last time. Yes. It'll be great. It's going to be awesome. Scarlet Letter, next week. Get ready. Thank you for listening to season two. Season two. So exciting. We did it. We did it. Two seasons down the hatch amazing we're the queens of the world love it so thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcast oh and thank you for someone left us a really nice review our friend on um a twitter yes. not on instagram our friend on twitter our friend on twitter who also our friend on this friend on twitter has a really great podcast who like gives advice to other podcasts on how to like start a podcast really yes so he is very cool. An SLC film fan 18 is yeah. what his thing was on Apple podcast. Yes. Radio. And if you wanted to start your own podcast is called pod sound school is what his podcast is. And it's very cool because he talks to people about how to get a good sound quality and how to like sign up for things. And it's very cool. Yes. So it's totally worth it. Because isn't that just the worst? Like, I feel like like we're pretty, we have really good sound quality. Like, I hope so, at least. You know, if, if you think it's terrible, let us know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I feel like ours is good. And it's so sad when, like, you start listening to a new podcast, and you, like, really like the content, but, like, the sound is horrendous. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so definitely look that up if you're looking to start one. Because um, you should. If you like what yeah. we're doing, go do your thing. Be like Madam C.J. Walker. Do whatever you want. Do what you want. Do it. All right. So again, pod sounds cool. Pod sounds cool. Rate and review us as well. We'll give you a shout out um, as much as we can remember. Because again, we're thoroughly drunk by the end of this. We've had six drinks at this time. <laughs> drinks? I'm exhausted. Ooh. Okay. So thank you again. And as we like to say, oh, and don't forget to join us for the Women's Classic 5K. I keep forgetting to say that too. It's coming up. It's coming up June 23rd. Yep. June 23rd. Come join us. There are some people walking. Um, Ro is walking because she's super pregnant. And um, Mama Debs is going to walk. And there's some people are running. You can run super slow with me. You can run super fast with Allie. All speeds welcome. <laughs> All speeds. My sister's running. Yes. She's a queen. Hashtag history on the run. Okay, perfect. <laughs> now that we've gotten all that out of the way, thanks for listening for the 14th time. Um, <laughs> and as we like to say on History on the Rocks, well-behaved women. Always floss. Always floss. <laughs> Rarely make history. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.
listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman you would like us to cover, you can send us an email at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. And if you would like to drink along with us, we post the drink recipes on Twitter and Instagram a few days in advance so you can go get the supplies. See you next week.